Welcome to Reinhardt FCA podcast. Ah 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 Hey guys, since we're a new podcast, we were just trying out some new intros um, in the comments or text me. Let me know. Do you like that one? We might keep it every single week. I love it. I'm a big fan. I'm about it. Anyway, this week our episode is brought to you by Waleska Candle Co. You know the deal. You know the drill. 20% of all purchases go to sending a collegiate athlete to collegiate leadership camp this upcoming spring. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift that will knock the socks off of everybody in the room, go get a candle and send a kid to camp. All right. Today we're going to talk about intimacy with God, what that looks like, and what that is going to be in your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month life. If you're listening to this as a student, you're probably home for the break if you're keeping up in real time. And let me just tell you, it can be hard when you're changing seasons. We were literally just talking about that before we hopped on, weren't we, Mary? Yeah, just the natural rhythms of our routine in the the semester. Um, Each break, it's always a transition for us to figure out what our new natural rhythms are going to be during the break. For sure. So in, uh, in y'all's different like seasons of life, obviously, uh, it's easy to have seasons that are close with God and seasons that aren't close with God. And we kind of get into a rhythm of a spiritual high and then spiritual lows. How do y'all find it easiest to maintain intimacy with God over different seasons? Great question. I'm just excited that dogs aren't in the playoffs. All right. All right. We didn't have to go there. We don't have to go I'm there. I'm really excited that there will be no grown barking men in the state of Georgia. I'm glad they're whimpering little puppies right now, tail between their legs, going home. We're still uh, still going to the Orange Bowl. I will be there. I'm going down to Miami. Anyway, and uh, sorry. it'll be a good time. Go sorry. dogs. It's, can't win forever. Yeah, you can't win forever. Only Nick Saban can. Um, Roll Tide. He lost. Anyway, so the question was highs and lows. How do we maintain spiritual consistencies and highs and lows? I think we have to understand that highs and lows are built in for a reason, that we appreciate the highs once we experience the lows, and the lows are meant to form us, transform us, and grow us in ways that we can't at the highs. So I think it's just like with any relationship. We shouldn't base our relationship with God off the highs. We shouldn't base our relationship with God off the lows. It should be a baseline of where we are trying to be the majority of the time and appreciate those really close times that we get with God, and then also be able to appreciate those trials that God sends us to in seasons of suffering and seasons that are more difficult than regular rhythms. But if we can institute regular rhythms, it makes the highs and the lows a lot more doable and a lot more sustainable, and it doesn't make you rely on the spiritual highs. Yeah, I've noticed in my own life, and, and more so recently, that I have handled lows in my relationship with the Lord differently, depending on what the low is. So there will be times in my life where I experience a low and it makes me like cling to the Lord, right? Like you've experienced a low and you're like, okay, I know the only way out of this is the father. And you just cling and you cry and you lament. And then there are other times where we experience lows where we're like, I don't want anything to do with God. And we distance ourselves with God because we're angry or we're bitter or we formed some type of resentment towards our heavenly father. And so how do we combat those? Like, how do we stay consistent in our lows? And and you talked about this Cooper too, with our highs, but specifically lows, because I think those are things that stand out to us more. Like there are a lot of high moments in my life, but I can clearly tell you the low ones a lot easier and a lot quicker than I can the highs. And I think I'm quick to forget all the good things Um, and I'm, it's easier for me to remember the hard and bad things, but through all of those hard and bad things, there's always light at the end of it. I'm always able to see like how God brought me through that, but how have I postured myself in, in preparing for the low? I think we have to prepare for the lows in our life because they're going to come. We all know that this life is not without heartache and without trouble and without sometimes misery. Um, and so how do we prepare ourselves in these high seasons 
and maybe even low seasons, but how do we prepare our hearts to be consistent and, and to know that Jesus is good all the way throughout? I think one of the narratives we see in scripture is the ease it is for all of us to forget how good God is. Right. So you see the disciples, they see Jesus feed 5,000 plus individuals and they hop on a boat and they're caught in a storm and they're freaking out. They don't think that God can save them. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Like, why do you doubt? Did you not see what I just did? Another example, the Israelites in the Exodus, they Mm -hmm. just get delivered out of slavery because of their prayer at the beginning of Exodus. God says he heard his people and then they get taken out through the Red Sea, right? They see this miraculous work of God through the 10 plagues. They see God on display through their deliverance from a trial and then a promise to be delivered into a promised land. And then when they're wandering in the desert, they say, we want to go back to Egypt. They would rather go back to slavery into their previous trial than be in the one that they are in. They're forgetting the highs. And it's so easy for us to read the scriptures and say, well, they're they're so feeble. They're mm-hmm. so wishy-washy. But then when you take... A, a honest look at your own life, you see that you are the exact same yeah. way. Yeah. You, when you're in a trial, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm Absolutely. never going to get out. I remember when me and Rachel were in seminary and it was like month to month, were we going to make it with finances? Mm. And we would just be worried all the time. And I just remember at certain times, God just in my quiet time, just being like, you have such little faith in me. Mm. Have I not brought you through before? And so I think one of the things that the psalmists remind us of so often is to remember. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a few different ways to remember. We can remember our own personal story and our own personal times that we were delivered. I think that Paul writes in 2 Timothy that he's thankful for his for Timothy's grandmother and mother. Mm-hmm. We can think of our familial line and generational um deliverances throughout their lives. We can look back through church history and the different types of churches that survived persecution, different areas throughout history where God survived in his church, where he brought it through persecution, martyrdom in the early church. And then I think we have the rich narrative of biblical history that we can look back upon and remember. That's why Hebrew says we have such great, a cloud of witnesses that we can call upon. Not only are they cheering us, but we also can lean on them. Coop, you just touched on uh, another thing I kind of wanted to ask you all about. So uh, especially like in college and and outside of college, really, um, it's really easy to uh, acknowledge God and pray to God and seek God when you're the backup or when your parents are, are getting a divorce or when you're going through these tough seasons. How do we not get complacent in our faith when we are when we get that starting job or when things are going well? So, so you're saying it's much more typical for someone to start to search for God or to depend on God in times of need or times of trial. Right. right. So like when you hit rock bottom, that's when you turn to God. For a lot sure. of times that's when that's where God takes you in order to get you there. For sure. Right. I, I know a lot of times when I look back on the trials in my life, the ones that really, really hurt. It was because I was no longer dependent upon God and I felt like I could live my life with a sprinkle of God or he could be a consultant or he could just be someone that I looked to every once in a while, but he wasn't the foundation. And God would bring me out of those seasons as saying, all right, you don't want me to be the foundation. Look what happens without me. And then that's his loving kindness to show, hey, like I have to be the one you're dependent on to bring you through these things. And so I think one of the ways that we stay in that position of, I have to be dependent, I have to be constant in my communication with God and my prayer life and my reading and being in a gospel-centered community, is even when you don't feel like it, good or bad, is to be disciplined. Mm. There's no easy answer. There's no like, well, just pray this prayer and God's going to magically change your heart to want him more. No. The way you fall more in love with somebody is you spend more time with them is that you give them more of yourself, is that you continue to learn about them, that you continue to sit with them, that you continue to get to know them and they get to know you. And so the way that you stay consistent in the low times and the high times is just by saying, I'm going to pray no matter the season, no matter what's going on, and I'm going to seek God's face no matter what's going on, right? The mountaintops or in the valleys, I'm going to spend time with God. Sam, when you said for students in college and then, you know, thinking through what it looks like post-college made me think of 
the idea of what it looks like to be in college when you have really good Christian community, when it's, it's the thing to be consistent, right? right. It's, it's the thing to show up on a Wednesday night or to show up, um, to events or be in the word or be praying like those things. It's, it's the cool thing to do, right? Because you're in Christian community who's all doing it and who's all stewarding you in it and is encouraging you to do it. And so what happens when you graduate and you have to restart all of that? Yeah. And I would say for the, for the senior who is listening to this and who has experienced really great Christian community in college and knowing that they're going to have to leave, um, either, you know, they just graduated in December or they're graduating in May. A lot of times collegiate ministry um, and having good Christian community can feel like a bubble and that you're protected and that you're surrounded and it's comfortable and it's sweet and it's awesome and nothing can penetrate this bubble. But the second you get out and you don't have this protection around you, you realize that you were living, you know, around bubble wrap pretty much this whole time. And you get out and you graduate and you're like, how do I do this? How do I stay consistent? Was a lot of my faith just based off of my community? Was it really my own? And that's something all mature Christians should be evaluating in their own life. But it also points towards how important it is to be in a local body as soon as you graduate. That's one of the things we talk about so often in FCA is that we are not the church. We know that we are a paraministry that wants to love on students and show them the gospel and then how to be disciples who make disciples, right? And so part of this discipleship is helping students know how to find a good and healthy Um, and sound church so that when they leave and they don't have this Christian community that they're surrounded by with all of their fellow teammates or classmates or whoever, they go out and they now have rich community within their local body, their church. Cooper? Yeah, no, I just want to comment. You're just talking about community. Community is incredibly important. And the community I'm talking about or that I want to talk about is accountability. And I think accountability is not strong enough. One of my mentors told me that that's JV. We need to have a varsity word and it's expectability. I expect you to live this way. Yeah. I don't want to hold you accountable afterwards. I want to come to you actively and say, are you upholding the expectations that God has set out in front of you? Are you living a virtuous, godly and faithful life? And uh, I just want to encourage everybody that if you don't have a group of individual guys, you should have about three or four guys in your life that at any moment they can call you and ask you any question and you have to answer honestly. And it's a judgment-free zone. They're there for you because they love you and because they want you to live the godliest life that you can. Ladies, the same thing. Three or four godly women in your life that they can call you whenever and they can ask you a hard question and you have to answer it. And then on the flip side, you can call them whenever. There are certain people in my life that I know if I call them at 2 a.m., they're going to pick up. And there are certain dudes in my life, they know that if they call me at 2 a.m., I'm going to pick up. And uh, the reason is that even in high times or low times, this is what Jude says in verse 20. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And a lot of times we get in the temptation of when life is going good, we can kind of give in to our temptations. And we need to have people around us who will yank us, not gently just encourage us, but who will yank us out of the fire that we're getting ourselves into. And so having community in church, having community in parachurch ministry is great and needed, especially the church. That is essential to a Christian's life. But inside that church have people that are close with you that can hold hold you accountable because that's how you sustain it yep that's good that's really good so i don't i don't know if we want to get into this fully but um how how do you think um for for the people who are leaving leaving school um what qualities in a local church do you think do you recommend that they look for when finding community I think this is such an important question. And I think this is something, whether you are in college or about to graduate, you should heavily be thinking through this because this is something I talk with my girls a lot about is knowing the difference between sound and good teaching versus false teaching. 
And for a lot of my life, a lot of these girls' lives, when it's been brought to us that there are people who are out there that call themselves Christians who are teaching false gospels, who are teaching anything but Jesus, but they call themselves Christians. Like I didn't know those people existed until I was in college. Um, and I think a lot of my girls would say the same that I lead is they would say, I had no idea. I thought everybody who said they were a Christian, we all believe the same things and we all like live by the same things. And so it's so important. And this is again, back to the intimacy. Um, if you do not have high intimacy, if you are not pursuing, um, intimacy in your relationship with the Lord, if you don't know him, if you don't know his word, you are not going to be able to, to differentiate false teaching from truth. And so it's so important that we read our Bible. Um, and so that we know how to combat these lies. And so one of the things I would say is if they are teaching the Bible, if they're teaching the word, if they're going through the word. And so something that's important for me um, and our church is that we go through the word expositionally. And so that is not something that necessarily has to be what your church does, but it's something that I look for in my church, meaning that we're going through a book of the Bible together, that we are breaking it down pretty much verse by verse by verse. Because I leave there knowing this is what scripture says. It's not just this topical conversation where, you know, we're going to talk about our finances today and then we'll just like pull some scripture from random places that really don't have a lot of context. What I prefer when looking for a church is, is somebody who's going to go verse by verse. So I'm learning the word. Like when I walk out of there, I know how, what it said, but I also know how to teach it afterwards. Right. And, and then do my own more study into it. And so that's something I would look for. Um, yeah. Cooper. Yeah. I would like to spend a whole entire episode on this. Oh, for sure. Me too. So I think in short, what is most important, not, not the most important thing, but something that is definitely primary. I think the most important is, do they have a correct doctrine of belief that is orthodox within historic Christian beliefs, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed and the ecumenical councils of the early church. Um, all that just right now sounds like a whole bunch of gibberish to some people, <laughs> but we'll break that down in a later episode. But do they teach the word of God? What we've gotten into, Mary, as you've pointed out, is what some will call moralistic therapeutic deism, mm-hmm. where pastors will say, this is a, mor- a moral characteristic that we want to have seen in our people. Let's give them a therapeutic talk that has a deistic God. And you could fit in, in evangelical America, you could fit a lot of the sermons that are said on Sundays into just some random motivation, self-help For classroom, sure. yeah. and it could get the same result. The reason that sucks is because the pastors or people who are burdened with teaching God's word are not called to motivate people to change. Mm. They are called to preach the word of God so that the Holy Spirit may transform the souls of those who are listening. And so what we have gotten twisted in the modern evangelical church is that we've convinced ourselves that if we get enough motivation, we ourselves can change that we can be the pioneers of change in our own life. Mm. And that is grossly unbiblical. The biblical mandate is that the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, as Ezekiel says, and changes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is nothing that we can do to change. And even throughout sanctification, throughout the entirety of our life, it is God who is bringing to completion the work that is within us. It is God who saves, it is God who sustains, and it is God who changes us for all of eternity until until we are glorified with him in heaven. So if you're looking for a church, look for correct belief and look for sound teaching, Mm -hmm. not for teaching that tickles your ears or makes you feel good, makes you laugh. Look for something that holds you accountable to scripture that you walk out of there saying, I know more about God. I know more about his word because that is what is primary, especially if you're going to give somebody 30 minutes to an hour, make sure that it's worth listening to because something else I know we want to talk about is what you're around, who you are around, what's influencing you, what's getting into your mind will shape you, will shape the way you believe, will shape the way you live and the way you obey, the way you view the world and the way you view God. And the most successful people in this world 
personally successful, not business successful, but personally successful, are very, very intentional about the things and the people they let disciple them. Yeah. I was going to just give a little story about this girl in college. I didn't even know this girl, but we had like a project to do together in our class. And we were in the union, which is kind of like Georgia Southern's like hangout spots where Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, all that is, is at. And so we were talking and this was like at a point in my life where I was like, yeah, I'm going to share the gospel with literally everyone I come into contact with. Um, and I still want to be that way, but like, I was like very like zealous. Like it did not matter if I was going to ruin relationships. I yeah. am going, you were like, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to bulldoze my way it. over these people and they're going to love Jesus more once we leave the conversation. Right. And so I walked into this, to this little meeting for our project with this girl and she was telling me like, you know, we're getting to know each other. I told her I was a part of a campus ministry and she was like, Oh, I've been to like, one of the night sessions. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Like, what did you think? And she said, well, honestly, I just, I usually leave feeling pretty crappy about myself. And so I don't really enjoy it. So I don't think I'm going to go back because like, because Jesus is so loving, like I should leave somewhere that should make me feel really good about myself. And I was like, so you want to feel good about your sin? And she was like, well, I mean, I just like, don't, yeah, I guess that's, how you could put it. Like, I don't really want to feel bad about the things that I'm doing and I really don't want to change the way I'm living. And I was like, well, let's talk through it. I was like, what are sins in your life that you're struggling with? And she like started listing all of these things. Like, again, I just met this girl. So nice. for her to just be opening up about her sinful patterns, like was so odd and so random. We're in a big public place with tons of students around us, but it was ordained by the Lord. So, yeah. <laughs> but she, I mean, that was the root of it. She just did not want to go somewhere that didn't fluff her ego. And we cannot be going to churches right. or places and putting ourselves in spaces that are going to fluff our ego because that is the most destructive thing that we can do as a Christian. It's like the same thing. If you really think about it, of if you're playing a sport, you want a coach who's going to critique you so that you can grow. Now you want him to be tactful in the way he critiques. Yeah. And loving. He, right. But if if you're in baseball and you just have terrible pitching mechanics, right. you don't want somebody to be like, you're, you're doing so great. Yeah. We love having <laughs> you. We're so blessed. Like you just keep doing that and you'll get exactly what you want. Well, they're lying to you. Right. And the same is true in some of our churches is that when a preacher is talking about, you know, God loves you just the way you are. True. God loves you, but he's not going to keep you there. He's going mm -hmm. to transform you. The purpose of us coming to salvation is that we are transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Yes, he loves you even though you're sinning, but let's not stay sinning. One of the marks of a, a mature Christian is that you can look backwards in the timeline of your life and you can say, I've conquered this sin, this sin, and this sin. And mm -hmm. you can say, I am continuing to grow. And look, that's not easy. And it's not something that it's just like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I want. No, because you have sin, you're in the flesh, you want people to tell you how good you are and to <laughs> pet your ego, and sometimes that is good. Encouragement is great, and we need to encourage in an honest way, but you don't want a church that is encouraging you to stay in your sin. You don't want a church or a leader in your life that's encouraging you to not pursue Jesus and to stay where you're at and just be a moral person. Yeah, and that's hard. It's hard to have those conversations. It's awkward. Um, something I always tell m my students and my D group, they've heard this a ton, but somebody's eternity is worth an awkward conversation. 100%. And so 100%. be willing to have those hard conversations, be willing to call out sin in people's life, be willing, um, obviously in a loving way, we, we talked about this in the last episode, but be willing to be the person that asks questions that nobody else wants to, if it would be beneficial for their walk with the Lord. And I think... Uh, Penn and Teller, I think this is the famous example. He's a famous atheist magician who works at Las Vegas. Famous atheist, speaks out about faith all the time and about Christianity. And uh, one of his biggest critiques, I believe, of Christianity, now I might be a little bit off on this, you can fact check it later on, is that he goes, I'm an atheist. I'm really confused that if every Christian thinks I'm going to hell for not believing in Jesus, why every Christian hasn't come and told me that. Wow. Is it more loving Man. to keep your relationship with somebody comfortable or is it more loving to tell them about the, the eternal, you know, their eternal state Right. that they can either go to heaven or hell, right? Do you want their friendship 
on this side of heaven or do you want your friendship on that side of heaven? Like, do you want a friendship that's eternal or do you want a friendship that's going to last until you die? Like, that's what it comes down to is like, do you love this person enough to want to spend eternity with them? Or do you only love the friendship because it's comfortable and it makes you feel secure and you're not willing to lose that? Yeah, and I'm so tired of this comfortable stuff. How many of you think Jesus was comfortable on the cross? He wasn't. He wasn't. Was he comfortable carrying it? Was he comfortable taking the 39 whips? Was he comfortable praying in the garden until he sweat drops of blood? You know, was he comfortable being accused for things he didn't do? Was he comfortable for being silent like a lamb led to a slaughter? Was that comfortable? No, we're not called to a comfortable life for Christianity. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that we can expect sufferings. In fact, what the Bible tells us is if that they hated Jesus, how much more will they hate us? Right. And this whole modern movement in evangelicalism to just be accepted by everybody mm. leads us to a place where we have no backbone, we have no conviction, we're not standing up for anything, and we're definitely not joining in the sufferings of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. And so I would just encourage you, I can guarantee you, I'll ask you this question. For everybody listening, I want to ask you this question, and I'm going to give you two or three seconds to think about it because that's all it's going to take. And then I want to give you a challenge. So here's the question. Who is the one person in your life that you know you need to share the gospel with, but you haven't? Here's your challenge. By the time the next podcast drops, share the gospel with that person. Yeah, and you've probably had at least 10 people pop into, like, yeah. I did. I did. I had so many names, so many faces that are popping into my head. And there's a lot that it's not like I'm purposefully not sharing the gospel. It's just when I get together with them, we want to hang out or we're playing basketball or we're talking about other things. And so life gets in the way and I need to be able to prepare my heart in preparation to say, God, give me an opportunity in this conversation that I can share the gospel with them. I think it's easy as that. And God will give you that opportunity. What would you say, Cooper, to a lot of people in ministry say um, that this is like a long game, The sharing the gospel is a long game, that you really need to get to know them and know that they are loved by you before you share the gospel. What would you say? I would say, because I'll just be honest, in my life, I've been on both sides of this. Right. I've been on one side where I'm like, you know, let's go stand on the street corner and just <laughs> preach. Like, let's do it. And then yeah. I'm on the other side where I don't want to turn anybody away. You know, their lifestyle is offensive. Their lifestyle is sinful, but I want to get to know them and they can trust me so that I can tell them about it. Now I'm at the place where I'm like, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not an either or me mm. sharing the gospel with you at the beginning of our relationship does not negate the fact that I can play the long game with you. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so I think it's a little bit of both. I think when we enter into friendships or relationships with people, we have the opportunity to present the gospel. Now it doesn't have to be, Hey, do you <sighs> believe in Jesus? And they say, no. And you go, you're going to hell. <laughs> that doesn't have to be the way you present the gospel at the beginning it of a relationship. Should never, should never be the be way. That way. But I think we entreat people into a conversation just about spirituality. And one of the great things about modern day culture is everybody's open to talking about spirituality in a general sense. Absolutely. And I think one of the best ways to share the gospel, and we're also in the future going to do a, a um, episode on evangelism and how to do that in different ways. But I think one of the best ways you get them talking about their spirituality, what mm-hmm. they believe. And then you just ask questions. Right. And then when they ask you questions, it gives you the opportunity to say what you believe. And then you can have an open dialogue and open conversation. And I guarantee you, the more you talk to people about it, the more comfortable you get with it. Oh, yeah. And the more you'll see is that people will probably, honestly, respect you a little bit more if you're able to stand up for what you believe in, not Mm -hmm. if you shy away from it. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing is like knowing how to confidently share it, how to articulate it in a way that they understand it. But also, like you said, if you get people talking about themselves, they're way more willing to listen to what you have to say. You know, it's like, if you show me that you're interested in what I have to say and how I feel, then of course I'm going to let you like, there's some respect here. Now you're not trying to bulldoze the conversation and tell me why I'm wrong. And so we have to, we must have questions like sit down one day if you need to, and think through questions that maybe you could ask somebody that I think that would be so beneficial. I I've done that before where I've sat down and have made questions in my notes app on my phone 
and and the other thing is that I would encourage you, and this is something I do, and I, I'm sure you guys do this as well, is like praying for open doors, praying open for doors. gospel opportunities. Paul asks that. He says, please, Lord, give me open doors. Give me opportunities to share the gospel. And so I've been with girls in the middle of me sharing the gospel with them. Usually when they're talking, I'm praying for yep. them the whole time. I'm praying and asking that the Lord would reveal truth to them, that he would open up their heart, that that he would flood into their life and they would realize that their the scales would fall off of their eyes, that they would no longer be blind and that they would see that God is the answer. Jesus is the answer. It's God who saves, not you. Right. And I know, let's get back to intimacy in a second, but what you have to understand is it's, it's never your job to save somebody. Mm-hmm. It's just your job to be the conduit through which the Holy Spirit convicts somebody and shows them the gospel. Yep. That's it. Your job is to preach. Your job is not to save. Your job is to evangelize, not to save. And so the pressure is not on you. And I think a lot of times we psych ourselves out because we're like, well, what if they know all these arguments against like his, like the history of the crucifixion or does God exist? And they went to the school for all these things, right? There's guys who have PhDs on apologetics and how to defend the faith. Here's what nobody can ever take away. And here's what you can just say. If somebody gives you a critique of Christianity that you can't refute in the moment, you go, Hey, I'll look into that. But can I tell you about what Jesus did in my life? Yep. Can I tell you how he changed me? Can I tell you how he delivered me from death? Can I tell you how he's brought me through situation after situation after situation? Because what the Bible says is that it is the power of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so as we believe in the power of the lamb, it is the work of the lamb in our life that also speaks volumes. And for these specific people, I mean, in my time in college at Reinhardt as well, like there will be times where I ask girls who are who are really doubting and not sure if they can trust Jesus, um, if they would just write all of their questions down, write them all down. Like think of the hardest question that you can ask me and give it to me. And if I can't answer it, I'll find somebody who can. And if they can't answer it, we just have to be okay. Sometimes that we will never know, but also this allows people to, to, to know that you care about what they're curious about. Like, it's not just me just saying, believe Jesus. Like, why is that so hard for you? Why can't you just do it? But instead, asking them to bring you the questions. Like, I think when we go to the Bible, we should be bringing our curiosity. Oh, 100%. Like, we should be leaving, studying the Bible with more questions. Questions. We should be, like, that, if the scripture is not intriguing you to think deeply about it and to have questions when you're leaving the scripture, like, you probably didn't study it very well. You probably just read it to check it off of a list. I right. mean, that's been my personal experience is like oh, when yeah. I just read it really quickly to say, oh, I read my Bible today. I realize I don't really even know what the scripture is about, but also I have no thoughts, no questions, no concerns. Yeah. Like there's nothing. And so that's another way that you can have high intimacy is is really studying scripture and and not just reading through it to, to check it off a box. Yeah. Um, I think as we get to know something more and more, we also get to know the fact that we don't know that much. Right. I think when you start off, you're like, man, there's really not that much to learn. I'm going to learn it all real quick. And then you start to learn. You're like, oh no, I don't know that, 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 or that. And I've, I've had professors at seminary. I've met pastors. I've met dudes in their nineties who have been studying the Bible as a job. Yeah. Writing papers as a job for the duration of their life. Mm. And they're like, the more I know, the more I understand, the less I know. Yeah. Like I just understand there's such an infinite gap between me and God. Yeah. And one of the opportunities we get is I believe for all of eternity, we will just continue to learn about God. Yeah. We never graduate from that. Right. No. And we talk about this at FCA all the time. You never move past the gospel. You move further into the gospel. But I have Mary, I have three things um, that I want to talk about with you and I'll just, I'll just list them. Intimacy with God. What we're told a lot of the times is just read the Bible more. Just spend more time with God, and that's what intimacy is. Mm. And I don't think intimacy with God, like that relational aspect with God, is just filled by reading the Bible more. Like I know a lot of people out there who they know a lot about the Bible, but I don't really think they know that much about God. Mm. Like they know proofs of Scripture, they can memorize it, but they haven't eternalized it into their heart and their soul. And so it's a disconnect. So one of the things that I have that is – kind of a misconception about intimacy with God is that a lot of times our biblical comprehension has outpaced our biblical obedience. 
mm. and that say that again our biblical comprehension has outpaced our biblical obedience yeah, and that good. has hindered a lot of our intimacy with god god is way more concerned in the way you live mm. than what you know that's good you know and i think a lot of us have put a primacy on well let me just know no no let me just listen to another sermon let me go to another conference let me put on another podcast especially those who grew up in a christian oh, home yeah. you and, know it you know like you know it you have the most head knowledge you walk into every sunday school class and you're like i am you further know the than all mm-hmm. of you you know and you know yeah. exactly what to do yet you just right. don't do it yeah when it's in the secret places when nobody's watching you because i think if you grew up in a christian home you became really good at crafting how to look good on the outside and how to keep all the sin on the inside that you know and God knows, but nobody else does. And so if nobody else does, it's not really real. And and that's not true. But that's, I think, how a lot of people convince themselves that their sin patterns are okay is because nobody else sees it. Like to everyone else, they You're are perfect. killing it, yeah. right? And they're not struggling with anything. And that's something I fell into when I was um, growing up and, and coming into college. Yeah, and I just think you need a group of people around you that are that are, have the responsibility and the okay to just call you out and to say, how are you living it out? Leonard Ravenhill, a famous preacher from the early 20th century, mid-20th century, he said, I no longer ask people if they're saved. He goes, in America, everybody was saved. He's like, <laughs> you ask anybody. Yeah, they know Jesus. And uh, what he would start asking people is, how has Jesus changed you since he's been inside your heart? Mm. And if you can't see any real change that's taken place, you need to take an honest evaluation at your spiritual state. And you need to go to your prayer closet and really get intimate with God and say, have you saved my soul? Right. And if you have, why do I feel this callousness towards you? Mm. And you need God to just break that down. And you need to be obedient and you need to do it time and time again. The second thing I have, which is a kind of a misconception, is when we say intimacy, I think modern culture... Look, I'm a big rom-com guy. I am a huge <laughs> rom-com guy. That's what we think intimacy is. We yeah. think it's this zenith moment, this mountaintop moment, and that's what intimacy is. Right. And so whenever, like, if you grew up a Christian, you went to summer camps, those summer camp moments mm-hmm. where it's like everybody was singing it, there was 500 people in the room, nobody had a cell phone, everybody was talking about God and focused yeah. on God for an entire week, and that's all we Everyone's did. Everyone's crying. Everybody's crying, everybody's yeah. confessing sin, people are getting saved three or four times, you know, there's just a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff happening. The, the, the chords are hitting right on the piano, yeah. the worship leader is just singing beautiful melodies, it's a professional speaker, everything is the perfect environment with the perfect message, with the perfect opportunity. And we think that is what it needs to be. And that's not at all what it is. And that's not achievable every single no, day. Right. You know, it's like not we assume because that doesn't happen every moment of our life, we must be so far away from God. Like I think because a lot of people have had these experiences and these these mountaintop moments that they're like, I must sustain this. This must be what it means to be a Christian. If this is like or what Christianity Christian. is. Right, right. A healthy Christian. And I think for sure, like it can be such a dangerous thing. Like those moments are beautiful. Great. Those they're necessary. They're wonderful it's because like the it gives vacation us like, you get. Right? Yeah. But it's like also like a glimpse of heaven of oh, like us worshiping together sure. in one accord. And it encourages you. Right. Yeah. And so those moments are good. I'm not saying steer away from those because it could be destructive in your walk later on with the Lord. Remember but those that's moments, not intimacy. but that's not full like you can't do that every single day for the rest of your life you would eventually have to leave and go eat you would eventually have to leave and go work like you can't live in that space with those people forever and if you if you are like discouraged when you leave these camps or these conferences or events or whatever it may be know that other christians are not right like, they, they call it a spiritual high yeah it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual high. high not a spiritual norm right and yeah. if you make the mountaintop the regular it's no longer a mountaintop yep it's just your regular and you got to go and find a out. new mountaintop and you'll burn out i i just think it's this idea that we've placed that you know we have to get the chill bumps on our arms mm. that the place where we can have the best type of prayer is in the middle of a worship night on right. a Thursday evening in the fall where all the Christian girls are wearing their hats and their flannels with the <laughs> Starbucks pumpkin spice. Latte, oh. Right. You know, I'm not Man. calling anything out, but I'm just saying like, that's what we have made spiritual intimacy. One of my favorite images is there was this lady who was a, a missionary to Africa 
and I forget her name, and I, and I apologize for not knowing her name. But the story is, is that she was going to minister to a bunch of families and kids who didn't have food, and she was going to bring food the next day. But the mosquitoes were so bad in her tent that she could not sleep. And one of the most incredible prayers she prayed is that she recalls in her journal, she just said, God, if you don't make these mosquitoes go away, I can't do what I need to do tomorrow in your name. Hmm. And God made the mosquitoes go away. Wow. I think being intimate with God is being able to pray like that. Yeah. And and believe that he's going to do it. Because you know he is, because you've experienced it so right. many times. It's this experiential intimacy instead of this grandeur of, of formality and needing to get into the right place. It's just knowing that the spirit is within you and you can communicate with him at any time. He leads you into righteousness and you grieve him when you sin and that you have the ability to conquer your temptations at all times. Intimacy is knowing that you're with God all the time and he is with you. Yeah. A, a funny story is like when, when Riley and I at our church were experienced a pastoral change, we, we, our current pastor, we're so thankful for him and all that he does at our, at our church and how he loves our church family and how he cares for us. And when we first started meeting him, we were like, you know, we'd been praying for weeks. Like we just had an interim pastor for like two years. Like that's a long time to have an interim pastor, right? Like it's a long they, time. they were searching for this pastor, never found like the right guy, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. So, and Riley weren't, Riley and I were not even there for those whole two years. We were only there with this um, interim pastor for a little bit. And he was so wonderful and amazing. And we so loved him. That, and that's why we had started going to church there. But we started praying for our new pastor. And when our pastor got there um, and we had like a meet and greet and all these things, and we just got to hear his heart and and how he preaches and his style of preaching and what he believes and like what's important to him, Riley and I left and we were like, oh my goodness, like, this is amazing. This is exactly what we prayed for. And then we both looked at each other simultaneously and we said, both said, like, why are we surprised? Why are like, we, we surprised? We prayed for this for so long. Like, we should be excited about it, but not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe God actually did that. You know, yeah. it's like, we should be walking into that expectant of what God is going to do. And sometimes God obviously doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want him to. But if it aligns with his word, if it aligns, you know, us wanting to have a good pastor for the sake of our body, that's a good thing. And that's honoring yeah. and pleasing to the Lord. Well, And you're mentioning that scripture, ask and you shall receive. Yeah. Right. And that, that comes into the context of you are in the will of God, obviously. And if you're in the will of God, you're going to ask of the things, things of God. That, right. And so what I challenge some of our students, in fact, I just challenged one guy last night while we were on the phone. He was talking about, I don't understand why I'm in the, the situation I'm in. I'm on the team that I'm on, the playing time, da, 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 da. And uh, he was just, we were just talking through it. And I said, you know, a lot of times we get that guarantee from God that if we ask him, then he'll talk to us like He'll make it happen. Ask and you shall receive. I like you want, you want to be intimate with God. Here's a way to do it. Flip that on its head and say, Jesus, whatever you ask, you shall receive. Mm. I'm going to make my answer a yes before I even know what you're going to say. And uh, if you ask God that he will give you a prompting of what direction to go into. And if you give him that guarantee, you better follow through on it. So I, uh, I like that. I like that, um, that discipline. I think also if you want to build some intimacy with God, when's the last time you prayed on your knees? Mm. Yeah. Pray on your knees. Um, Charles Stanley, the pastor, the former pastor, the late pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta, when he first got there, he walked into a staff meeting and um, he just asked everybody, when's the last time you prayed on, when's the last time you prayed on your knees? And everybody was like, well, I don't think I've ever done that. And he goes, how can we, how can we lead a church if we aren't even able to pray on our knees? How can we stand and lead people in song and in preaching if we can't even get before our Savior, our Lord, our King on our knees? I think a lot of times, and, and this goes with this, is the idea of the, because we've gotten past like the big sin in our life, yeah. that all of a sudden, like we're doing this Christian life pretty well, right? And sin should break our heart. Like whether we consider it big or small, it is an offense against a holy God. Right. Like it should bring us to our knees. Even if we had the best day ever and we barely sinned, that small amount of sin, even if it was one sin, that's all you did all day, that should bring you to your knees. Yeah. That should that should make you bow before a holy God. And and I think a lot of times 
in personally my life and and I've seen in a lot of Christians who have been walking with the Lord for a long time we kind of lose sight of that because we're like well we like we spent time with the Lord we do the good things we like you know we're so much further ahead than where we were like we don't struggle with these sins anymore like as as though we're not still sinning and yeah. I think it's a dangerous place for us to be in and um it our sin should break our hearts it should lead us to a place of repentance and hopefully bring us to our knees to bow before b- before a holy God. A holy God. I'll say this, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they should know you. That's Jesus in the high priestly prayer, praying to the Father for his disciples and for the, all the disciples for all of eternity. This is eternal life, that they should know you. If I ask, and I talk about, you, you guys have heard me talk about this. If I ask somebody who's been married for 50 years, basic questions about their spouse, they should be able to answer them. Mm -hmm. I feel we have lost that in Christianity where I can walk into a church. There is probably a healthy amount of people that I could ask who have been saved for 50 years, basic questions about God and they would not be able to answer. Yeah. And it's because they, we, we've just made it a decision to get into heaven, a free ticket, a get out of hell card, a fire escape instead of a relationship that we can be intimate with God and we need to know him. And the way you know him is to spend time with him. And so if I can encourage anything for you who are listening to be able to build intimacy with God, spend time in his word and spend time with him. Do not substitute scripture for God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. One of the, uh, one of the things on, on intimacy that uh, a mentor um, encouraged me to, uh, to pray is he, he, he told me, he said, what would happen in your life, in the life around, of the people around you if you every morning woke up and begged God to move mm. and just, just got on your knees, like you said, and just begged God to move in your life and the life of the people around you? Mm. And uh, to me, that's one of the, that's just a, a beautiful thing that brings me into an intimate place with God. And you know what's crazy that yeah. you're saying that is I think a whole bunch of people, if they were honest with themselves, they would rather see a group revival or a national revival more than they would a personal revival. Yeah. They want everybody else to have yeah. that experience. They want everybody else to have to go through that change. They want everybody else to be revealed of their darkness. They want everybody else. But these great revivals start with personal revivals. Yep. You know, public ministry comes from a private place. And so I like that, Sam, but I, I, yeah, I just, I know that because you read it on Facebook all the time. People are so (laughs) much concerned with the nation or with this group of people or with this party or with this or with that. Imagine if we put as much effort into critiquing ourselves as we did everybody else. Oh yeah. I mean, if we listened to the sermon and said, yeah. oh yeah, that's for me, not the person sitting beside me oh, or the yeah. person Goodness. across the, the way, like, I hope they're really listening. I've been, I've been in that where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, I know they're not at church today, but they needed they to, should have been here. <laughs> I can't wait to text them this sermon. Yeah. <laughs> and then God's like, Hey dummy, that was for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I talked about this, uh, last spring, but, uh, literally last fall. Like every day I was waking up, I was like, Lord, send revival on, on Reinhardt's campus. And I prayed that every morning. And then one day in my prayer time, he was like, how about we get revival in your life mm. and then see what, what, what comes of that? Yeah. For those Tough. of you who don't know Sam, um, he spoke at a Wednesday night last semester. So like last spring, um, not this past semester, but um, he spoke on revival and he spoke from that specific prayer and it was really beautiful this is like when the revivals and things were breaking out at asbury college and it was such a raw and real night because sam did not come in there expecting all of these students around him to say okay yeah this is happening in other places let's just try to manipulate the situation let's reproduce it let's reproduce it and and not be authentic and what Sam came in saying was like, this is what I've been praying for. But really what God has been saying and laying on my heart is that I need to change that revival has to start with me and revival has to start in my own life before I can expect it to, to spread. Um, and so for those of you who don't know Sam, I would highly encourage you, um, t- to get to know him if you are at Reinhardt, because it's a really beautiful story and he got to share it, um, at, at that night. And honestly, it was one of the, the most intimate nights we've probably had ever, um, as an FCA organization at Reinhardt. And it was because, 
um, Sam was willing to bring what the Lord was laying on his heart through Sam spending time in prayer. Like it wasn't just like Sam just had this revelation from God. It started with Sam asking and praying and believing that God would do something radical. And it ended up just being personal, which is so cool and, and how we should function. Yeah. Good job, Sam. Appreciate it. (laughs) I wasn't even there that night. No, Cooper wasn't. I I was there. My whole family was sick and I had to bounce. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, you were there. I was really and sad. And then you had to leave, yeah. Oh, I thought that was heart attack night. Oh. No, no, my, no. <laughs> yeah, at one point, Cooper thought he was having a heart attack. Basically. Basically. <laughs> but he wasn't. Basically. Um, speaking of spiritual highs and camp experiences, if you go to Aleska Candle Co. and buy a candle, you will have 20% of your purchase go towards a camp experience and a spiritual high experience for a collegiate athlete. No, but in all seriousness, if um, you want to sponsor a camper, if you will reach out to Reinhardt FCA, we will get you connected to who you need to be connected to, to sponsor some campers so that they can go and get this experience of spiritual leadership training that me and Mary are going to lead them through. And if you're a student, the registration link will go live in January and we expect and want you to sign up and oh yeah you need to be here you do not want to miss what the lord is going to do this summer through collegiate athletes and through the ministry of fca and so if you have any inkling or any tickle in you whatsoever that's saying i should probably go and invest don't don't chalk it up to to being just this fleeting moment go sign up and bring lots of your friends. Bring your friends. Even if they have Androids, bring them. <laughs> yes, padlock stack. bring them. We can pray. We pray over them, deliver them from Android to iPhone. Anyway, I just get Androids. Don't, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's yeah, causing us some tough. problems on this winter arc thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, if you're listening to this and it is in the winter months of December 23... In January 24, and you want to be involved in a group of young men that are taking their faith seriously, contact me at Cooper Everspaw on Instagram, and we'll make it happen. We're all getting together there, and we're reading the Bible together every morning at 630. We're praying prayers together, and we're taking faith seriously so we can come back to school in the new year as a new person that is dedicated even more to their faith. So, hey, guys. Great episode. Good episode. Enjoyed it. And now. No, I'm just playing. Have a great week. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you next week or we'll talk to you. You'll listen to us. Hey, if you're a Reinhardt student, we miss you. We can't wait for you to be back. Um, Continue on in your faith. Become more intimate with God this week. Remember that challenge. Who's that one person you haven't shared the gospel with? Go share it with them. Ask the Spirit to give you an opportunity and make it happen. We love you guys. We're so incredibly proud of everything that you've done, and we can't wait to be with you again in the new semester. Godspeed. Bye. Bye.